Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action to create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in this tech field starts right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Lilayla Strogov. Lilayla is the founder and CEO of Atomic Mind, an education technology company offering families a boutique coaching experience that prepares students to become WOW candidates in the increasingly competitive college admissions landscape. Lilayla earned her Bachelor's of Science degree from MIT and with dual interest in humanities and sciences. She works with students around the world. As a former journalist, Lilayla employs her interest in people and storytelling to students, helping them develop the tools and mindset that enables their success, and also assisting families as they navigate college admission. Welcome to the show, Lilayla. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Really appreciate you taking the time with me today. I'm so excited to have you on the show. So let's get started. So as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I went to MIT and that's probably where I was really introduced to more tech than uh, I even bargained for. There were (laughs) literally kids in the dorm who were starting tech companies and it was kind of an onslaught. And I was, you know, just kind of that kid who was just so engaged in the learning across everything. And I really was not focused on tech. I was focused, immersed in the sciences, immersed in the humanities, really immersed in in storytelling and people. And uh, after leaving MIT, I really ended up finally finding my first calling as a journalist. And in journalism, I was exposed to just about everything. So I did actually do a lot of journalistic articles in tech and I became interested in tech, especially the ways in which technology impacts the lives of young people. Uh, I was doing a lot of investigations and, and really looking at some of the trappings of the tech industry, but also saw a lot of the potential that the tech industry had. After leaving journalism, I sort of continued in my immense love of storytelling. And I've always viewed journalism as an educator's role because you really are supposed to be at, at, at your best educating your the public. So I viewed a transition into education and ran a consulting firm for many, many years uh, that really helped students put their stories into words, into action, and help them tell their stories in a way that really impressed and over time started noticing a lot of the trends of kind of who was getting into which of these elite colleges and collecting a lot of data on what kids needed to do and who was doing well, 
who wasn't doing as well and why. And that really is what led me more into uh, starting Atomic Mind for the technology component, because this, I, I realized that there was such a robust marriage to be had between storytelling and technology-driven tools and data and making these connections and really enabling students to become in charge of their own destinies, their own futures, their own stories. I love that you have a background in journalism as well as storytelling because both of those go hand in hand for tech. And there's so many people who don't have that in the tech industry. So it just sets you up for success. That's that's so awesome. So tell me more about Atom- Atomic Mind. So Atomic Mind is a technology platform that allows for a great degree of collaboration between mentors, educators, strategists, writing coaches, in order to really help guide students in an informed and educated way into some of these elite colleges. So, you know, one of the things that many students don't realize is that different colleges are looking for very different things. The admissions committees really have different personalities in much the same way that people have different personalities. But a lot of what they like to see is actually uh, measurable, is something we can track with technology. So we are able to use technology not as a predictor, but as a guide to help students really prepare for a trajectory uh, and and you know one of the one of the ways I, I liken it to is imagine if you had ways uh, for uh, your own personal destination. So you could say, here I am in uh, the state of Arkansas and I would like to go to Harvard. And you can, at the ideal, plug in where you want to go and you can literally have a few maps of varying trajectories that would get you to this place as a person from where you are with the interests you have. And that is really what we are building. We are building a set of tools and a set of algorithms that will connect the dots for students and their educators in a way that will lead to very informed guidance and leadership. That is amazing. So are you using AI, machine learning, a combination? What what are what is the background of the data? Yes, right now, so AI at its core is really just uh, it's pattern recognition and it is it is scraping data and recognizing patterns in order to improve outcomes and to be able to control for certain variables. So we are absolutely doing that. And right now we are doing that very much on the back end. So we are giving our, uh, we are giving our mentors and our guides and our advisors access to some of the important tools that will allow them to effectively guide students in their quest for college admissions at many schools that are today really baffling students with their acceptance rates and trends. So that's what we are ultimately doing. 
That is amazing. I love what you're doing to help students really get that trajectory or that map or that guide to their future. You know, it really can show them the path, whereas so many people are lost. Yes. That's great. So um, tell me more about storytelling. How are you using that with students? Tell, tell, tell us some examples. So, you know, every student, we, we really believe that every student at their core has some form of a wow factor or some capacity for a wow factor. And that means something within them that they have either done or they are in the process of doing that can lead an admissions committee to a wow moment. So um, there are so many different ways to wow an admissions committee. And, you know, if you think about it, it, it can be literally anything from teaching yourself a foreign language to starting an incredible uh, literacy program for students around the world who may not have access to the learning that you have. So there are so many different muscles that one can flex. And what we really try to do is help students tap into these interests, these passions, this love of learning, and really connect all the dots across academics, across extracurriculars, across service projects, and make sure that everything they are doing is highly impactful. Because what we see are so many students, because of the mystery surrounding the admissions process, there is a tendency to overextend and to spin one's wheels in too many directions. So really what we try to do is give students this guidance and this grounded sense where they are really doing things in a very deliberate and mindful way that actually aligns with their authentic self. And we find that that truly does lead to that wow factor candidacy when you really just figure out who you are and where you want to go and the impact that you want to make. The authenticity part is so important. You know, if you're yourself and you're your authentic person, when you tell your story, it comes out, it gets, it resonates with people. It, it really, really makes that wow factor stand out. So I think you've got the right factors in there. So where, where do you publicize or evangelize these stories? In your portal, in your platform, to the schools? Well, what we do is this is literally as part, these stories are ultimately what goes into the students' applications. So. Okay. We take students on from as early as seventh, eighth, ninth grade, and we are really helping them kind of transform their own uh, trajectory. And they're doing all the things that they need to do. So they're keeping their grades up. They're doing all of these kind of more base level things, which I, um, I liken to, you know, we're working on the cake. But then the wow factor elements really come into the icing on the cake. And I always say, if you don't have a stable cake, it won't be able to hold that icing. So you've really got to have both. And so what we're doing is over time, we're helping students build all these amazing things that become part of their journey. They're, they're doing amazing things during the summer. They're really hitting all the notes, all the colors, 
all the shapes that go into the mosaic of what will become their candidacy. And then at the end of junior year and going into senior year, we really start to take all of those components and we go into a kind of marketing mode, a storytelling mode. And that's when you're really talking about the impetus behind so many of these things that you did and why you did them and what kind of an impact they had and what you hope to be uh, in the future, five years out, and why you would be an important and significant addition to a college community, especially at these elite colleges that now really require so much from children at such a young age. And we, we really try to help them manage uh, everything that they have to do with grace as opposed to stress. That's great. And I love that you start early with them. So you're building that story too. Not only are you telling their stories that make an impact, but you're also building their their path to get those stories. So I love that. Right, Jennifer. And I feel like you you would know that more than anyone. Mm -hmm. I get it. No, I and I think you're doing it the right way, which is so important because yeah, you can get students who are ready to go to college, but they're not really ready. They're ready, you know, in their mind, they think they're ready, but they're not. So starting out at seventh, eighth, and ninth grade is so impactful for their journey. Um, and I think that's so smart. Now, do the students buy a subscription with you? Does the college buy a subscription? Is it both? How does that work? Very, very good question. Yes, it is the families that end up coming on board and subscribing. So it really is a family um, effort. And we all know that raising children, seeing children into college, all of that really um, you know, it's it's a team effort. And so children will come to us uh, often on their own, but ultimately we will rope their families into it. Um, we do have a foundation side. So in addition to having our paid uh, paid members, we also do offer partial and full scholarships to those who are excellent and committed to excellence and willing to put in the work who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford that tuition. So we're really uh, very much about leveling the playing field. We actually give 10% of our proceeds to the foundation side in order to support these scholarships for those who may otherwise not be able to afford it. So it is really a process where it comes from the families Oftentimes we will have students nominated by teachers, by principals in order to join our program and really get that guidance and support. Um, But ultimately we know it's the student that needs to put in the work and the families that need to support the student in doing that important work. Oh, I love it. I love that you're involving the families too, because they need that support group. They need uh, people behind them to help them on that journey. So, wow, this is amazing. Really, really great work. So let's talk now about your experiences as a woman in a male-dominated industry. Obviously, we know tech is very male-dominated. What challenges have you faced and how have you overcome them? You know, I have to say, um, in terms of challenges, I haven't, you know, I haven't hit any um, that I would call are uh, exceptionally major and that I have not been able to overcome. However, I do, um, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm in, in one of these very fortunate positions where 
you know, I did not, I have not had to raise money yet. So, um, you know, from everything I'm hearing, it, it is much harder for a woman to raise money from institutional investors um, than it is for men. And I attribute a lot of that to a kind of subconscious bias, which I unfortunately been subjected to on numerous occasions, even uh, back in my journalism days, which is, you know, ch- mothers have children and children come first. So you can't be a slave to two masters. And I think ultimately that is where most of the biases against women in tech come from. People do expect women to just not be as committed because they view them as parents first, whereas they view fathers as parents second. Mm -hmm. I do, you know, I definitely encountered that. Uh, I've, I've, try to adeptly maneuver around it. It isn't always possible. One of the pieces of advice I tend to give other women is, you know, don't let the obstacles deter you and instead just try to forget about them as quickly as you can and take that side road, take that back avenue. So, you know, when you when you get those questions, just kind of dodge them as elegantly as you can and ultimately people will forget, right? Mm -hmm. I I think that over, it takes some time and it takes, you know, maybe knocking on 10 doors instead of the two that a man has to knock on, but you can get there. Uh, It just takes a little bit more persistence, a little bit more deliberate effort. And I think, you know, ultimately with the territory of womanhood, and I've always felt this way, you know, when you think about motherhood at its core and you think about the evolution of women, we are master logisticians, right? We get logistics. So at the end of the day, technology is about logistics. It's about figuring out what A does to B, what B does to C, and what C does to the rest of the alphabet. So it's a lot of moving parts and moving pieces. But at the end of the day, I think women are as good or better than men at that. And there's nothing that should keep them out of tech. And in, in that way, I am I could not be more committed to kind of paving this path and just breaking down as many barriers as possible for women. Yeah, I think you're spot on on, on you know, people look at mothers as parents first. And so then, you know, everything else comes before work and you can't think that way. Um because there's so many successful women that also have a family and they they learn to balance everything and they do a great job at it. I think the one thing that holds us back sometimes is confidence. Whereas, you know, may, men jump in with both feet and they're confident immediately, whether they can do the job or not, it doesn't matter. They jump in and say, yes, I can do it. And I think we have to do more of that. We have to build that confidence muscles so that we can say yes before we start to analyze or deeply go through the entire thought process. What is your thoughts on that? I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. There are so many women who I meet who are eminently capable, but who doubt themselves. They have imposter syndrome for way too long. And, you know, I I wish I knew what the origins of that Uh, was, I don't, but I think it is high time for us to come together as women and recognize that we are 
just as capable, that we can figure things out, whether we know them or not, does not mean we can't figure out and learn to know them. Every, I mean, entrepreneurship by its very nature is figuring things out. And again, as mothers throughout these many, many, many eras, we have been forced into situations where we have had to figure things out just by virtue of sheer survival and protection and all of that good stuff. And what better way to develop the tools that you need to succeed in entrepreneurship, in technology, and to really allow yourself to stand very confidently. And I think, you know, we are at a moment in time where, I mean, it's, it's a, this is, I think, a great time. We're at a crossroads where people are actually recognizing that women can do great things and they are starting to take notice and women are starting to be given a lot of the permission that may have been denied to them in past generations. And I think actually in the younger generation, a lot of the kids that I mentor, I do see that there is, there are far um, there's a far more heightened sense of awareness about girls and girl power and what girls and women can do and that no one should tell them that they can't do it. And I do think we are on the cusp of the next generation that will not have nearly as many of those fears. And in fact, I would even venture to say that I'm less worried about my own daughter than I am about my son, because I do think on a certain level, boys are starting to feel a little bit eclipsed. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I hope this is correct. I hope this is changing how people view women, how much confidence we have and the confidence from girls starting out. I really, really believe we need to build that pipeline of girls ages eight to 13 to really get them to love technology and get hooked early on because if we miss that window, we lose them. 100%, it's just like a foreign language. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I know you touched on this a little bit, but uh, in business, you know, this podcast is focused around bridging the culture, pay, and employment gap for women in tech. What are you seeing in the industry to get today with your lens? I still think there's a lot of work to be done. There is mm -hmm. no question. I do think that when you think of tech, you think of men. Um, mm -hmm. Also, think uh, there are efforts being made. I wouldn't say that the efforts are necessarily in line with the gender disparity that we're seeing, but I think it's getting better. I think you're seeing a lot of the engineering schools that are now letting in more women than they used to. I mean, I was certainly at MIT, uh, you know, there were a lot more boys than girls when mm -hmm. I was there. So, you know, Things are moving in the right direction. I think, you know, you've got girls who code. I mean, that's a huge movement. You, you've just got a lot of pushes for women in STEM, these opportunities that are coming to the foreground. I think my biggest, um, my biggest lament is that I think you are seeing these kinds of things more on the higher echelons, uh, you're seeing it more in the higher income schools, the higher income areas. 
I would really like to see public schools embracing women in tech more, embracing girls in tech more. I would like to see at a core educational level, I'd like to see women in STEM brought into schools, elementary schools, uh, middle schools, high schools, so that you can really have these women influence the girls they are educating at across schools in America. And, you know, that I think is just such a huge need. And, and at the company level, I think, again, we still have this issue of women are the ones who are taking maternity leave. So I think a lot of times you've got these companies that are thinking twice before hiring a woman. And, you know, it, it, it runs so deep, the systemic bias runs so deep that I really think one of the key elements that we need in place to fight it would be to perhaps allow and, you know, have insurance companies offer their typical leave to women and men equally. So this way you're not perceived to be losing out because you're a woman, right? If, if it's if that gender parity were created equal, you would no longer have these workplace considerations coming into play. So ultimately we have to eliminate some of the causes of this systemic bias in order to actually address the problem. And that's big, that's on the political level, but you know, some of these huge technology companies, you know, you're talking about Google, you're talking about Microsoft, you're talking about Apple, they could do it. If they really wanted to do it, they could, they could affect that change. And it, it's not quite happening that quickly and that deeply yet, but it's, it's, it's getting a little better. It definitely is getting better. I see it and I see, you know, large organizations taking initial steps, you know, on DEI and really focused on bringing more underserved communities, women in technology, um, different races, different people coming into the technology industry more than I've ever seen before. So hopefully that will continue. And I loved what you said about, you know, more women need to get out there that are successful in tech and tell their story, tell their story to girls uh, in STEM schools or in STEM education so that they can see them as role models so that they can then um, say, wow, I can do that. If she can do that, I can do that. And they see themselves in that role, which is so critical to get there because if they can't, then they just don't think it's possible. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Absolutely. Great. I love your passion around this topic because I'm so passionate about it myself and I love your thought process and um, things that you're doing to help, you know, this movement change. So thank you for that. Thank um, you. Same, same, same your way. Thank you. Um, so any tips and tools that women can use to navigate a career in tech? And what does that future look like? We touched on it a little bit, but, um, you know, um, women are, they need help. And how can we get them to think of a career in tech? What, what do they need to know? Or what are some of the tips that you can provide? Well, I think more than anything nowadays, you do have a lot of learning that is available to people at um, 
you know, at all kinds of levels. I mean, you can, you know, there are so many ed educational uh, offerings and they are not necessarily expensive. So you can take a coding class, you can learn to code, you can take a project management class, you can learn a lot of the tools you need to learn by just kind of looking at the job that you want and figuring out, okay, well, what are the prerequisites they're asking for? And what are some creative ways that I can employ to fulfill those prerequisites? So if, for example, they require that you know Python, you can learn Python, you can take a course on it, and then you could perhaps offer to volunteer your coding experience and expertise to, let's say, a local uh, organization, a nonprofit, and suddenly that becomes a resume item. So sometimes I think you do need to get a little bit creative before you can really get in the door. But I think the key is continual education. It's no accident that I am uh, in ed tech, and it's because I'm a huge believer in education and the power that it really has. And I believe that anyone has the ability to learn anything and it doesn't matter how old you are it doesn't matter how far into a career you are it is never too late especially in this country to pivot so i think it's a matter of just learning and getting some of the skills under your belt in creative ways and then again engineering what you've done into your own personal story and with that is the cover letter you know i was so passionate that this is what i did i undertook these steps to learn xyz and to cut my teeth on this particular project and this is why i would be an amazing fit for your organization so i think there are ways to really show kind of passion and resourcefulness that any hiring manager would be like i'm snatching this woman up yeah, no, that's great advice and great thought process. One thing um, I would just add is that, you know, tech doesn't mean coding always. There's a lot of lot of other job opportunities, a lot of other career opportunities in tech that don't involve coding. So if you're not interested in coding, coding, you can still be in tech. So I encourage women to explore different paths to see where your passion is. Absolutely. Very well put. Great. Well, this has been so awesome. I could talk to you forever. This is such a great topic and you are so passionate about it. I love it. So in closing, Leelila, who inspires you and why? Uh, it's a good question. And I have quite a few role models. I will say of late, uh, I have been very inspired by Mackenzie Scott. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that she is really blazing her way through making the world a better place um, with her philanthropy, with her thoughtful approach to giving and giving large and making an impact. I think she's probably uh, the most inspiring woman out there for me right now. And she's obviously, you know, made her way, um, you know, through a technology company. I consider her very much the co-founder of Amazon. And um, I think, you know, what she's doing now is it just sets her apart in such a major way. And it just goes to show the impact that I think women really feel is, 
you know, ultimately at the at the heart of their calling. It's like I I, I really do believe that in general women have a kind of nurturing aspect to them, and when women become successful, the world becomes better. Love that so so true. Well, I love that that story of inspiration. So, um, can you share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you? Absolutely. Uh, they can go to atomicmind.com. That's probably the best place and fill out a contact form. And uh, we are really open to anything. We'd, we'd love to hear from you guys and open to answering any questions you may have. That's awesome. Vilayla, this was such a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And I look forward to having you as a guest in a future show. Thank you, Jennifer. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end-user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end-users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.